Want to see the world from a totally different perspective? Ready for provocative conversation, intriguing stories, and inspiration? Then don't touch that dial. Welcome to Talk with Francesca. She'll give you something to talk about all week long. Now, here's Francesca. What if you took the time to really... Good morning, my listeners. Welcome to Talk with Francesca. I'm Francesca Luca. I'm your host, and I want to know what you're thinking. I want to know what's on your mind. I want to hear comments. I want to hear questions. I want to hear suggestions. A pushback, too. It's always welcome. Just email me at info at talkwithfrancesca.com or go right to my website and fill out the contact form. Talkwithfrancesca.com is my website. I promise I will get back to you ASAP. All right, then. This portion of Talk with Francesca is sponsored by Antico Forno in the north end of Boston. It is one of the most fabulous Italian restaurants in, well, all of New England. I think all of the world. But anyway, uh, if you jump on your computer now and you are the fifth emailer who puts in the subject line Antico Forno, you're going to get 100 bucks to chow down at Antico Forno. Now, that's pretty amazing. So get on your computers now and do that. All right, get your pen and paper ready because I want you to take some notes. I want to talk to you about anger and how to diffuse anger this morning. I've got a quote here for you. Don't let bitter, unhappy people drag you down to their level. Instead, use their behavior as an example of how not to behave and be grateful you are nothing like them. Let's see. Here's another one. Toxic people take no blame and love playing the victim. So whatever they do, be ready for it to be your fault. Oh, isn't that the truth? All right. So with us today is Douglas Knoll. He's written um, a fabulous book called De-Escalate, How to Calm an Angry Person in 90 Seconds or Less. And he's going to help us to figure out how to deal with the crazies. So here's the thing. Douglas Knoll is a lawyer. He has turned peacemaker. He says his calling is to serve humanity, and he executes his calling at many levels. Uh, Doug's work carries him into some pretty dark places. Uh, Using pragmatic and practical skills of peace, though, he helps people resolve some pretty deep interpersonal and ideological conflicts. He happens to be an award-winning author of three books. He's a teacher, speaker, and a trainer. Um, in his book that I just mentioned, De-Escalate, How to Calm an Angry Person in 90 Seconds or Less, uh, will be released this month. Okay, he is a full-time internationally recognized mediator and peacemaker. He specializes in difficult, complex, and intractable conflicts. He's got quite a bio. I'm not going to go through it all because I wouldn't have time, um, but I'm going to bring him on now, so stay with us here. All right, so welcome, Doug Nolan. Thanks for joining us today on Talk with Francesca. I'm excited to talk about your new book, Deescalate: How to Calm an Angry Person in 90 Seconds or Less. Do tell us, how do you do that? Because we, we all know one of those crazies, or at least, That's right? right. Yeah. That's right. Mm-hmm. Well, first of all, thanks for having me on the show. Oh, and welcome. Okay, so right off the top, here are the three steps. So everybody take out a pencil and paper. Take notes. There will be a quiz at the end. I'm a law professor. I can't help myself. All right. Step number one. Um, This is all counterintuitive, and we can talk about this a lot. But step number one is when you're confronted with a really angry person, doesn't matter whether it's a little child, a two-year-old, or a 90-year-old, it doesn't matter. 
for the next 90 seconds, ignore the words. Ignore the words. They have no meaning for the next 90 seconds. If you don't, if you don't ignore the words, you're going to get sucked in and triggered and you're going to be, not be able to do this. So you've got to ignore the words. I would think it would also help, but just if I can interject for a second, to the first 90 seconds, if you're, if you already know you're going to do that, it would give you a few minutes to take a deep breath and not react, right? Right. Well, the reason you're going to ignore the words is because you're going to pay pay attention to something very different. Oh, okay. Well, well, you're the boss, so, so, so I'll let so you. If you so, <laughs> so if you pay attention to the words, you don't have room in your brain to pay attention to what you really need to pay attention to. Okay. And that's the second step, which is guess at the emotions. So obviously, if you're dealing with an angry person, the top emotion, the presenting emotion, is going to be anger. But under that's going to be a whole bunch of other stuff. There could be frustration, despair, sadness, grief. Um, anxiety, fear, sadness, a whole bunch of stuff. But for right now, just focus on the emotion, and you're going to guess at the emotional experience that the speaker is having in this moment. And then the third step, and this is where it gets really counterintuitive, is to reflect back what you think the person, the speaker, is experiencing emotionally with that emotion using a very, very simple use statement. So I would say, hey, Francesca, you're really angry. You're really frustrated. You you're, have a lot of anxiety. You don't feel supported. Nobody's listening to you. And, and you just don't know what to do. You use a use statement because the science tells us, based on scanning studies, brain scanning studies done in 2007, that when you use a use statement, you are li- literally lending your, you, the listener, the pre- your prefrontal cortex to the speaker who in that moment is so emotional that he or she can't process what's going on. And by using a use statement, you allow that speaker's brain to process the emotional experience and get through it quickly. And what the science shows us is that when you do it this way, and no other way, this is the only way it works, when you do this, the emotional centers of the brain quiet down very quickly, and the prefrontal cortex comes back online, and you can start problem-solving. It's interesting when you say when you say you. I mean, because I, I always thought it was, you know, if you're if someone is, is upset, it was better to say something like I I feel yes. you right. That's what I always that thought. Is so I'm a, listening that, and going, huh? But go ahead. That's a complete myth, and go it's a complete misunderstanding. After all these years, Jeez, yeah, there's no science Louise, to support huh? that. Okay. Yeah. So this is what people people have been doing this I statement stuff for twenty, thirty, forty years. And there's no, number one, there's no science to support that it works because, and two, we know ex- experientially that it does not work. Huh. The moment you start talking about I, what I hear you, what I think you're feeling is X, you're taking their, the speaker's tr- train, which is on the speaker's track and moving it over to your track. And the speaker's brain will not process the information. All the speaker will hear is that you're talking about yourself and not about the speaker. And so, that's what Lieberman showed in his 2007 study. What about like, um, so I'm trying, I'm, I'm baffled here. I'm really, really surprised. Uh-huh. So do <laughs> I hear you? So none of this, do I hear? Don't say do, I, say do, you. Just say you, you are angry. That's all you got to say. Oh, but then I don't know how I would feel if someone said that to me if I were really angry. It, it I might want to just say, well, shut up. You're right. I am. <laughs> exactly. So you want to de-escalate somebody. You want something that works. This works. Okay. It's been proven to work with brain science, and I have acid-tested this for the last seven years in California maximum security prisons where I've taught murderers to be peacemakers. 
And they have walked in, and they have stopped knife fights, gang riots, murders, you name it. They've done it, and they, they've mastered this skill, and this is the only skill that works. Okay, so you're angry. What else? You're angry. You're upset. You're sad. Here's why. That's right. And here's why it, why it seems so weird to us. There are a lot of reasons. But one of the reasons is that we are, we are a society, a culture, Western culture in general, does not believe in emotions. We, don't, we think emotions are bad. We're trained from the very time with birth. Emotions are bad things. And we're trained that when somebody is having an emotional experience, that is a bad thing for us. And so we, we, as listeners, get a lot of anxiety. So when you're using an I statement, what you're really doing is soothing your own anxiety. You're not doing anything to help the, the speaker's brain quiet down. And, you know, this is really counterintuitive. And all I suggest to people is don't listen to the great Doug Knoll about this. Go ahead and try it yourself, and you'll see that there's an immediate difference. I'm scared. <laughs> there's an immediate difference between saying what I think you're feeling is angry and saying you're angry. You will see such a radical difference in reaction from the speaker that it will blow your mind. That's awesome. Listeners, I hope you're taking notes because this is really, really awesome. Doug's got some super interesting stuff. Okay. All right. So what else? So that's it. That's the basic foundational technique. And it's really easy to describe, but as, you, as I could tell from your reaction, it's in the beginning, it's difficult for people to get their heads around the idea that all they have to do is label the speaker's emotion and just guess at it. You don't even have to be right. I could say, hey, Francisca, you're really angry. And you say, no, I'm not angry. I'm frustrated. Oh, you're really frustrated. You'll just correct me, and I'll come back with a correction, and, and we're good. And, and and here's the thing that's really funny. I mean, I teach. I've been teaching this for years at graduate school. I teach law, and actually, I teach at Pepperdine at the Strauss Institute. And so, I you know, I have all kinds of graduate students there: lawyers, law students, LLMs, MBAs, master's degrees, and all kinds of stuff. So, but I'll demonstrate this for the first time to the class, and I'll ask everybody in the class, "What you what you what are your impressions of what you just saw?" And invariably, somebody will say, "That was the rudest, most disrespectful, patronizing, manipulative thing I've ever seen in my life." And especially, it comes from millennials because they're really good about shouting out stuff they don't like. <laughs> and, and, and then I'll turn to the speaker and I'll say, "And I say, okay, that's cool." I'll turn to the speaker and I'll say, "What did you just experience?" And invariably, this person will say to me, "That was the deepest, most..." profound empathic listening experience i've ever had in my life so, and the classroom and everybody of, their yeah. jaws drop yeah so i mean there's a lot of reasons that uh, we might want to listen you know creating an empathic connection is one of them um but i i actually did listen to one of your uh watch one of your videos but you say listening is a totally different dis, uh, different exactly set than having a conversation so can you tell us more about that yeah, so when we have a conversation, it's all about I. It's all about me. Just track your next conversation with somebody, and you will find that you're really not listening to the speaker. You're really talking about yourself. So the speaker will say, well, X, Y, and Z happened to me. And say, oh, I know exactly what you're talking about. That happened to me two years ago, and here's what you need to do. Mm-hmm. That's what we do. So, but, and that's okay. That's totally okay. It's really, those, that conversation is perfectly appropriate. But when you need to de-escalate, you cannot be in conversation mode. You have to be in listening mode. And that means that you are going to reflect the speaker's emotional experience from the speaker's frame of reference. That's the secret to this. And this is where, this is why, and it's 
totally counterintuitive to what we what we think is the right way to listen. And, but it works. And uh, listeners, uh, this is really exciting. Um, I want to make sure that I mention this for a limited time. Um, you can get his book, Deescalate, for free just by paying shipping and handling using the link dugnall.com slash deescalate free book offer. So make sure you grab a copy of the book. It's it's definitely a keeper. So, all right then. So I, my mouth is wide open and the radio host speechless. So <laughs> <laughs> I like that. <laughs> you know, this is really, really. So this is pretty amazing. So what is this prison of peace that uh, project that you have going? So, so, um, Prison of Peace started with a letter from a woman who was serving a life sentence without possibility of parole, who was at that time in, uh, living in the largest, most violent women's prison in the world, which happened to be located in Central California, not too far from where I live. And she wrote a letter to my colleague, Laurel Coffer, who lives a medi- who's the mediator in Southern California. And when Laurel got the letter, at her mailbox, she opened up her phone and called me and read me the letter and said, what do you think? And I thought about it, because what what Susan was asking us to do was to come into the prison and teach all the lifers how to be mediators and peacemakers in the prison because they were tired of the violence. So Laurel read me the letter, and I thought about it for about a second, and I thought, you know, if this is real, I think we should do this. So it took us about six months to negotiate through the prison bureaucracy and get uh, permission to start. So we started in March, April of 2010 with 15 women, all of them lifers and long-termers. Every single one of them had killed another human being for one reason or another. Uh, Half of them are out, by the way. (laughs) Half of them have been released and are doing great. Uh, so we started there and this was totally pro bono and we just, we're just, we're, we're both teachers and mediators and mediator trainers and we just decided let's give this a try. And I thought to myself, here's an opportunity to work on, to, to teach inmates how to de-escalate volatile, dangerous, violent situations. And if I can, if this is successful, who, who can ever gainsay what I'm saying, what I'm doing? Because I was getting so much pushback from my teaching. People just say, no, this is BS. It doesn't work even though I knew it did, and the science said that it did. So we went in and we taught. The first thing we do is when we teach this is we teach inmates. We spend um, eight hours teaching them just how to listen, how to listen for emotions. And we teach them other kinds of listening, too, but mostly we focus on, on listening to emotions. And then the curriculum builds over a period of time until finally uh, they're ready to learn how to become mediators. Well, we started with these 15 women in 2010. Then, all of a sudden, there was a waiting list of 800 women out of a prison population of about 4,000 of people who wanted to do it. And we couldn't say no. So we started teaching. And then we realized this was killing us financially because it's all pro bono. It took a huge amount of time. So we decided, okay, let's train trainers. So we successfully trained up about 30 or 40 women. And then and then about that time, and now we're at 2012, and we've already trained maybe 1,000 women in the prison. And... Uh, the state decides to close this prison down, move the women out, and they're going to repurpose it to a men's prison. So they do that. And, and the women leave in this December of 2012. They're sent to other prisons. We say, we'll go with you, wherever you go. Uh, there was another women's prison that I could take care of, and Laurel could take care of the women's prison in Southern California. All good. We didn't see this as being really burdensome. Well, then we got a call from the warden of the old prison, who is now the warden of the new men's prison. He says, could you please come here and teach this to the men? You guys were the only program that really worked that we had here. You guys are amazing. And we said, well, we can't. We don't have any money. 
And he kept asking and kept asking and kept phone calling us. And the guy was really persistent. We finally said, okay, we'll do it. So we went in and we had exactly the same experience with the men. The men are actually easier to teach than the women. Really? Why would that be? They're, um... I would think uh, just the opposite. The women... the women, the women, women that are in prison, especially women who are long-term prison lifers, are are really damaged human beings. Not to say that the men aren't either, right. but but the but the but the continuum of mental illness and cognitive disability and problems that the women have made them. We didn't think. I mean, we had a lot of challenges teaching them, but they did great, and we didn't know what to expect with them. And we just found the men to be easier. Hmm. Um, anyways, so that started, and then all of us. So then we. We've been in that prison for three years now, and then we started applying for grants. The department turned us down, turned us down. Finally, we got a grant last year to expand into uh, six more prisons. And so now we're in nine California prisons and teaching prison of peace. And uh, we have a colleague in Greece who has got prison of peace going in three Greek prisons. And it looks like we're going to be probably starting up in Connecticut next year. We think wow. we'll see. We have to do some planning grants on that sort of thing, but um, it's expanding. And what we have found is that when you teach inmates these foundational skills of how to listen and then how to solve problems and then how to intervene in conflicts, they are so effective at it. It's unbelievable. Some of the most powerful work I've ever seen as a professional mediator and teacher has been the work of some of these inmates. I mean, and the stories are incredible. Wow. You know, Doug, we just need to take a very short break. But when we come back, I'd be curious how you mediate evil and violence. So listeners, <laughs> stay with us here. If you haven't got a pen and paper, here's your chance. Grab a pen and paper. We will be right back. I get angry. I get angry, but I don't let the anger get me. Looking for an authentic Italian meal in an intimate setting? Then you'll want to dine at Terramia's. This North End Italian restaurant provides a simply divine culinary experience and, as quoted in Zagat's restaurant guide, pastas without compare. And it's reasonably priced. This North End gem will keep you coming back. Terramia is simply the best Italian restaurant in all of Boston. Call 617-523-3112, 617-523-3112, or terramiarestaurante.com. If you're anything like me, your dog is no different than your child. That's when I can't take my fur baby with me. I bring him to Goodfellas Doggy Daycare at 20 Thresher Street, right on Route 1 North in Saugus. They offer separate play areas for big and small dogs, a full-size saltwater swimming pool, and top-notch training from puppy to adult. Goodfellas Doggy Daycare, we're your family. And with them, it's personal. Visit goodfellasdoggydaycare.com today. Tides is beachside dining at its best all year round. Located at the end of the Nahant Causeway, directly on Nahant Beach, the ocean views from the dining room and the pub can't be beat, no matter what the season. Nominated for Best of the North Shore from North Shore Magazine for Best Alfresco Dining, Best Kid-Friendly Restaurant, Best Lobster Dinner, and Best Water View. Why would you go anywhere else? Whether you choose their dining room, a frosty pint at their bar, or a sun-drenched deck on the Hunt Beach, they guarantee you great atmosphere with super food and service. Their menu is full of fresh, high-quality seafood, prime rib, chicken, pasta, and pizza that everyone will love. Check out their drink menu for fun cocktails, 30 ice-cold beers on tap, and their well-rounded wine list with their state-of-the-art tap wines. They feature full-service lottery and kino. Tides is the place to watch any big game. They have over 20 HD TVs. At Tides, they specialize in casual dining with food that's just delicious, not pretentious. Tides is a fantastic restaurant anytime, summer or winter, lunch or dinner, rain or shine. 
Located in Boston's North End holds one of our best-kept secrets, Antico Forno, ranked number nine of the top ten Italian restaurants around the world within the category of being one of the most authentic. With a welcoming family feel, it's hard to argue the experience you have when enjoying dinner at Antico Forno. Best known for their brick oven pizza, their world-class traditional cuisine does not fall far behind. Come enjoy dinner at Antico Forno and feel like part of the family. Open daily from 11.30 a.m. until 10 p.m. Call us today at 617-723-6733 or visit us at AnticoFornoBoston.com. All right, we are back and you're listening to Talk with Francesca. I'm speaking with Doug Knoll. We are discussing his, well, we're not really discussing his book, Deescalate, How to Calm an Angry Person in 90 Seconds or Less, but we, but you have a great opportunity, uh, listeners, to pick this book up for absolutely free. So welcome back, Doug. Thanks. All right. So tell us about mediating evil and violence. How the heck do you do that? Yeah. Well, it's not easy. <laughs> I'll tell you that. But there is a way, there there are approaches that I have as a mediator that allow me to go into situations where there has been either extreme violence or potentially evil. And so we have to, the first thing we have to do is define in terms of what is evil. And for me, evil is any morally reprehensible act that has caused some kind of deep injury to another human being for the benefit of the person who committed the act. So if you if you limit it to that, then the then the definition of where 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 what is evil the things that are actually evil really narrows significantly. Um, but in, in, because one person's freedom fighter is another person's terrorist, and so what one person considers to be an evil act, like genocide, for example, might not to another person might be you know something completely different. So the way that we deal with evil is to really try to understand, t- take a lot of time to really understand the histories of the people that have been affected by whatever is going on. So it's a very um, private, slow, uh, detailed process of, of gentle and graceful storytelling in order to grasp what drives people to do this sort of stuff. So from a mediator's perspective, I have to walk into the thing withholding judgment. I can't judge whether something is good or bad, evil or not evil. I have to simply be willing to engage people in a process that they can talk about what has happened, how it has affected them, what has driven people to do this sort of thing, how the people who were victimized by evil, how they experienced that and what it's done for them, and explore all of this in a very deep and meaningful way to the extent that you can. And oftentimes when you do this, you get insights about what has really happened. And that can lead to, it doesn't lead to reconciliation, that would be too much uh, to expect for. But it does lead to, to a, a, an understanding that sometimes can lead to a problem-solving process that allows us to prevent the situation from occurring again. Sometimes it happens, sometimes it doesn't. It's very, very difficult. But, and violence is a little different, uh, because violence may or may not be evil. Violence occurs, um, I can talk about it probably more explicitly from the inmate perspective. Inmates that I work with who have committed extreme violence, and I, I've worked with a lot of me. I mean, that's what I did yesterday morning. I was in Corcoran State Prison, 100 feet from Charles Manson. All 15 guys in the room, they've all been coming out of gangs, they've all probably killed people. 
um, the the um, what you learn is that human beings are not born violent. Right. We are not born as aggressive beings. We are trained to be violent. We are trained to be aggressive. You don't it's think an any of that is in, that you don't think any of that is in one's genes. Yeah. So once once you understand that, then you find out what was your training. What did your parents do to you or your lack of parenting? What happened to you in your life that caused you to be this way? And all of a sudden you start hearing some really horrible stories. And then that gives you some compassion. You can't you can't condone what they've done, but at least you can understand right. where they're coming from and what they've done. But what's the difference between you and a uh, counselor or a psychologist? I mean, isn't that what a psychologist would do? Oh, okay. So the, diff- the big difference between what I do and what a therapist would do is that I'm not trying to heal. I don't make a diagnosis. I'm not using any kind of therapy techniques on people. I'm a peacemaker. And all I'm trying to do is bring peace to people's lives that have been shattered by some kind of conflict. Now, whether or not that leads them into healing or not is, is something that I hope happens, hmm. but it's not my goal. Yeah, therapists see. therapists are focused on diagnosing disease and disorder and then and then prescribing a, a form of treatment identifying a potential prognosis and then comparing the treatment form to the predicted prognosis and making adjustments along the way that is not what a peacemaker does you say that peacemaking is the hardest work that anybody can do i i would yeah. i would agree with that but tell us why as a peacemaker or a mediator, you're being asked to walk into uh, somebody else's conflict, where and typically in those con- those conflicts that are really difficult, people would rather shoot themselves with AK-47s than sit down at the table and talk. And talk. Mm-hmm. They look at peace as being weak, as being kumbaya, as it'll never work for me, as it's the last thing I want to do. And that's because their reaction to the conflict drives them away from peace. It may even drive them into vengeance. So you have, as a peacemaker, you have to approach these people. And so, one, you have to convince them to come to the table, which is not always an easy task. Mm -hmm. And two, once you get them at the table, you create safety in a process. And as soon as people feel safe, they start lashing out. That's why these de-escalation skills are so critical for, for somebody like myself and for anybody. Because once you create safety in a conflict... People are going to have all this emotion come up, and they're just going to—they're just going to go nuts, and they're going to attack. And the only person in the room who's safe is the peacemaker. Nobody else is safe, and so the peacemaker takes the first blow mm-hmm. always. Right, uh, listeners. If you are tuning into the half an hour version, we need to say goodbye. If you are listening to the hour version, uh, great, stay with us here. Um, for those listening again to the half hour version, you can get the full version of the show on my website, talkwithfrancesca.com. You're mean to me. Why must you be mean to me? 
If you're looking for a full-service upholstery workshop, look no further than J.C. Upholstering in Lynn. We have you covered whether it's upholstery, reupholstery, furniture repair, slipcovers, or custom furniture design. Specializing in car and boat interiors as well as antiques. We are the company that North Shore Interior Designers trust because of our quality workmanship. Contact us today for a free consultation or estimate on your residential or commercial upholstery, furniture, or antiques project. Call 781-599-8515 or visit us online at jcupholstering.net. Looking for an authentic Italian meal in an intimate setting? Then you'll want to dine at Terramia's. This North End Italian restaurant provides a simply divine culinary experience and, as quoted in Zagat's restaurant guide, pastas without compare. And it's reasonably priced. This North End gem will keep you coming back. Terramia is simply the best Italian restaurant in all of Boston. Call 617-523-3112, 617-523-3112, or terramiarestaurante.com. All right, so, Doug, do you think that, well, you, you probably know for sure, but in your book, De-Escalate, How to Calm an Angry Person in 90 Seconds or Less, do you feel that this book can really make such a huge difference, or do you need your training? Absolutely. So I mean, that's obviously, why I, I think the reason, obviously, but, you're, but but I mean, can, is this book? Because I have not, unfortunately, um, had a chance to really go through much of it. But I mean, can, are there lessons here? I mean, are, yeah. This, the, the way the the way that I structured the book was to spend the first two or three chapters talking about emotions, where they come from, how they're organized in the brain. It's very much more complex than most people think, and try to give people a, a little bit of a scientific foundation about how our brains process information and what emotions are all about, how they evolve in our brains, and all that stuff. So people have got a good foundational skill. And also, I critique Western culture. I say, you know, part of the problem with God is, going back to the Greeks, rationality was privileged over emotion. Totally wrong. We're 98% emotional, 2% rational. Um, and then I start, I start with the arc of life. And in Chapter 3, I start with little babies, toddlers, just talking, learning how to talk and talking about the terrible twos. So let me just start there, and then I go through the whole arc of life, and end up with, end up in. So I go through toddlers, and then preteens, and teens, and how to deal with difficult teenagers, and then into relationships, dating relationships, marriage, divorce, how to deal with an angry ex, for example. I have a lot, and I have lots of examples and conversations that I've had about how, how the, the how it looks. Compare and contrast. This is the way most people would handle it. This is the way you could handle it if you were de-escalating. And then I go into the workplace, and I go into schools. And, and I have a whole chapter on education, how teachers can use these techniques and have used these techniques to calm angry students and get control of the classroom. And then the last chapters deal with political polarization. How do we oh, have I would love to talk, take a few minutes and talk about that because that's so important right now. Yeah. I mean, it's just, oh, it's, crazy. it's really, um, yeah, you know, um, I mean, I've even experienced, I mean, I don't know anyone, frankly, who hasn't lost a friend or two. Um, right. over this, you know, right. and, um, and I won't say what, which side of the, the fence, but, um, my, my cousin actually, um, back during when the, the election was going on every day, pretty much every day, she would send an email with the, I hate who she hated. And I won't say who she hated. Um, but so, cause <laughs> I'm just not going to do that. But anyway, um, I, you know, I, you know, I, I didn't necessarily disagree with who she wanted to vote for, but I'll tell you what I did disagree with, that I did not want that hate email coming in da daily, like, well, you know, if you vote for this person, you could expect this to happen, and, you know, the nasty jokes and so on and so forth. So, you know, one day I just decided uh, to to send an email back and say, you know, I just... 
I'd really appreciate it if you would stop sending um, these emails. I don't want to wake up every morning to this hatred, right? I mean, that's really how I felt about it. And right. so, uh, of course, she that's thought, a, well, wait a minute. A I, great... thought she, I thought you were voting for who I was voting for. And, and the reality is that I was. Um, but it had nothing to do with that. It still, there was just too much hatred. I hated it. Well, you know what? She still to this day doesn't know that I voted for the same person I know she voted for. But you know what? She's totally stopped talking to me. I, well, first, no. First, I got a, an email saying, well, do you realize that if you don't vote mm-hmm. for this person, that this is going to happen in our country and blah, 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 blah. And it never even, you know, she really missed the whole boat. It's like, don't you understand? And, and you know what? I never even finished reading the email from her. It's just, I sent her back an email saying, really, I'm all set. I don't want to hear this hatred and anger every single day. And, you know, I mean, it, but it, so, you know, she decided she didn't want to talk to me. And the funny thing is about it is she never understood that we were voting for the same person. It was just that. That yeah, I did so not want whole, to be part of that polarization. I mean, you know, you can vote, vote for whoever you want to, and I just I don't like it. So I'm curious about, um, and even on Facebook, I mean, it certainly has calmed down a great deal, you know, since the election. So, but, but so still. that whole experience, that whole experience was really frustrating for you because the the anger and the frustration that your friend was expressing in the emails was was triggering you and getting you crazy, and and it, it was really bothersome to you. And it was also an indication of, of a very common problem, why we are politically polarized. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And that is that we don't, she wants to be listened to. And she, and she's not finding anybody who really knows how to listen to her. And if we come back at her and give her all the reasons why she shouldn't be thinking this way, we're trying to persuade her to do a different belief and we're not even listening to where she's really, really experiencing. So the, so the first rule in dealing with the political polarized is don't challenge their beliefs. If you want to have a calm conversation with the politically polarized, you have to be an adult. You have to be in a place where you don't need to have your own particular perspective validated or vindicated. You've got sufficient resources, identity resources, and strength of personality and character and a good sense of who you are that you don't need to be validated by somebody else who's politically polarized. Then, if you're in that place, if you're not in that place, then it's very difficult to have the conversation because you have a need to be validated and vindicated, and you want to be have that from the other person. That's where we get into these conflicts. So what would you say to someone who 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 wants to be listened to, and 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 if you don't agree so, with what they they have to say? That's right. So so the first thing I do, I ask a very simple question: Tell me all the experiences that you've had in your life that lead you to the beliefs that you have today. Well, that's very broad, though. That's okay. But I could be talking all day and night. I'd be getting hungry. Uh, Well, if you want to have a... (laughs) I mean, this is not something I would do over email, but if I were having coffee with somebody and really wanted to have a calm conversation, or I was dealing with, and I have done this with family members, um, you you have to make time and space to listen. So the first thing you're going to do is find out why do they have these beliefs? And the way you're going to do that is to get them to tell stories because they've never told their story before and they've never told their story in a way that they've been listened to. And they probably don't even know why they have the beliefs that they have. Yeah, but people tell their stories. Sometimes angry people tell their stories repeatedly. I mean, it's the same story, different ah, day. So that's a good point. So when they start, when they start rewinding and you got the, you know, they're telling the same story over and over again, that's when you're going to de-escalate them. That's a key to de-escalation because they're blocking. It's called emotional blocking. 
And what's happening is there's some emotional experience that they're having that isn't getting listened to deeply enough, and so they keep repeating and repeating because they, at some deep level they haven't been heard yet. And so you have to you follow them. I talk about this in the book, how you deal with blocking when people are just repeating themselves. And you can stop blocking very quickly if you just reach for the deeper emotions. So, so the, whole tr- the whole trick to dealing with polarized people is not to challenge them. So all the science shows, this comes out of Emory University and Drew Western and his people, political neuroscience, really interesting stuff, that when a person has a deep-seated political belief, let's say, and you confront that person with true facts, they're empirically, objectively true, not fake news, the real thing, and that, that, that information contradicts the belief structure. What happens in the political partisan's brain is that dopamine is released, gives, which is pleasure, and reinforces the belief against the truth. We are hardwired to dig in our beliefs against the truth. That's, that's one of the little interesting little quirky things about our brains. So that if you're trying to persuade somebody who has a deep-seated partisan belief, the last thing you want to do is confront them with the truth, because all they will do is dig in their beliefs and this is all unconscious. They don't know they're doing this. Right. And so you have to find other ways to work around that. And one of the things you do is instead of talking about the belief or challenging them, is ask them how they came to the belief in the first place. Get an autobiographical story. And then the second question I might ask is something like, all right, how do your beliefs guide your everyday decisions? How do they guide your behaviors? How do they, your beliefs help you navigate your daily life? Most people have never thought about that question before. And to, to get them to start thinking about it gets them to really start connecting their beliefs to what they do every day. Doug, and you I, can get some really interesting information from people when you do that. So, Doug, I'm wondering about with your uh, your technique or techniques, if you will, uh, if this is effective with love relationships. I assume it is. With, with, with what relationships? Love relationships. Oh, my God. Right? Crazy. Okay. Yeah, All right. But before you go too far, skills. I'm just going to ask you a personal question. Okay. So you're married, right? So, yeah. so what do you do? <laughs> it's got to be much more challenging, um, for you, right? Because you're emotionally affected when you're upset or your wife is upset. So how do you deal with that? We have not had an argument of any significance in 10 years. Oh, wow. Oh, wow. And that's because, and that's because we are both. We both concentrate on using these skills. And when I get upset, she says, oh, Doug, you're really frustrated. You're really tired. You're you're really frustrated. You're angry or whatever. And she will de-escalate me until I calm down. I know she's doing it, but there's a part of my brain that needs her to do that for me. Really? And I will do the, I will do the same thing for her. So let's, let's, exactly give like, let's, let's, let's get a little demo. Give us a little demo on air here. All right, so give me... So um, give me... So I'm married to you, and I'm I'm, I'm married to you, and uh, you're mad at me, or I'm mad at you. One of us. So you're mad at me. It's easier because I can only I I can de-escalate myself, but I need to de-escalate you, Francisca. So we're married, and so you yell at me, say something to me. I've done something that. Oh well, you know what? Every time, every time we have plans with another couple, you inevitably manage to come home late, so that we end up being late when we go out with them. I hate so that. I'm sick of it. I, I've had it. You know, How many times do I have to tell you the same thing, that you're always late, and I don't so, like it? So say you what really, you mean and mean what you say. If you're going to be here at 7 o'clock, be uh-huh. here at 7 o'clock. I don't know. I'm just so thinking. So you're, you're, really you're really frustrated that I don't keep my word and, and don't show up at the times when you expect me to show up. 
And that embarrasses you when we have to show up at social events. And you're really angry and you feel like you're not being supported and you're not respected. And that, and that um, yeah, at a deeper level, Yo, you what are you going to do lot, about it? You feel it? a lot of sadness. Well, then what are you going to do about it? Yeah, you feel betrayed. I don't want you to tell me what I feel. I want to know what you're going to do about it. Don't All tell right, me what well, I feel. I know what I feel. Okay, so you, you're really you're really angry and frustrated that that we're even talking about this right now. <laughs> it's too bad that I don't really have, not that I want this to be going on in my life, but <laughs> I wonder if I had something really specific going on in my life, whether I could like get really fired people, up. People people will say I don't want to hear that touchy feely crap. I don't want to do that. Right. I, well, I, I was let, kind of thinking I don't let that. It go. I, I was. I was thinking exactly that. Like, you know, if this were a real thing, I would be like, shut up. Like, you know, like that's I, what I was I thinking back, that that would be All you're how- saying is, unless you walk out of the room, all you're saying is, you just, you, I need to be heard more. If you walk out of the room, then I know we're done. But if you stick with me, I'm going to stick with you and I'm going to keep de-escalating until I get four things out of you unconsciously. I'm going to get a nod, and I did get them from you. I'm going to get a nod of the head. Couldn't see the nod of the head over the phone, but I did hear the uh huh, exactly. I'm going to get that. I'm going to get a dropping of the shoulders and I'm going to get a deep sigh. And I will not let it go until I get that. Or you walk away. Well, okay, but now I'm going to ask you a question here because I'm thinking about the people in prison, uh, you know, because they're much, much more angry than someone who's just oh, angry. Yeah. I mean, they've got, they've got rage, right? I mean, this is, oh, yeah. there's a big difference big between someone who's, teed off about something and someone right. who has like unconscious crazy rage and those right. people get such i don't know if the word is joy but they you know they get like a, a release of um you know it makes them peaceful it makes them feel peaceful just being able to to just really like tear into someone so um well actually it doesn't um when they're tearing into somebody they're just they're reacting on old programming the only way they know how to respond to what their experience is is through violence, because that's what they were trained at two years old. They're not; they don't get any pleasure out of it. They just—it's just the only thing they know. They've never been taught differently. Hmm. So we always tell our inmates, obviously, don't put yourself in danger. Right. Rule number one. Right. However, if you are de-escalating somebody, um, you know, don't worry about it. You get a little pushback. If you get, you know, if it gets if it gets too extreme, then sure, back off. Probably means you weren't subtle enough, or maybe the timing wasn't right. Then come back at it five minutes later. But as a general proposition, don't give up with pushback because all the pushback means is that actually the pushback means you're being effective. People are feeling listened to. Really? Okay. And they're they're frightened when when people push back. They're frightened because what's happening is you're touching them at a deeper level. They don't, they're scared of that because they're scared of confronting their own emotions that they're processing and they're frightened that they're going to be vulnerable and exploited. If That's just, all that happens in pushback. If you're just tuning in now, you're listening to Talk with Francesca. I'm speaking to Doug Knoll. We're talking about his book, De-Escalate, How to Calm an Angry Person in 90 Seconds or Less. We need to take a very short break to hear from our sponsors. We will be right back. Don't jump on that plane. Stay with us here. All right, we are back. You're listening to Talk with Francesca. Welcome back, Doug Knoll. I appreciate you being with us today. That's fun. Yeah. Great conversation. So, so, so uh, I've got a question about emotional intelligence mm. uh, and how these skills develop emotional <laughs> well, intelligence in someone. 
Right. Well, we know that emotional intelligence really kind of came on the scene with Daniel Goleman back in the mid-1990s in his book. Right. And he was really reporting on the work of some other researchers. Uh, but he's made a whole career out of emotional intelligence. And emotional intelligence consists of five basic skills. Uh, it depends on who you talk to, but I like this. One, you, as human beings, we are self-aware of our emotional experience in the moment. Number two, we can modulate our emotions to a certain degree. Three, we can make choices against how we feel in the moment. I'm really angry. I want to punch you out. I can make a choice against that. I can choose to walk away, for example. Number four, I can recognize the emotions in another person. And number five, I can deeply and empathically connect with that emotional experience that another person has. To the degree that you have these five skills, you have you are either emotionally intelligent or not if you're deficient. Nobody really talks about how to teach emotional intelligence. There's a lot of research out there that says people who are emotionally intelligent have are far more successful in life than those that aren't. But nobody really teaches us how to do this. I think that's true, though. I really do, don't you? Yeah. yeah. So here, well, I think it's true, too. But so what I've learned in my work is that when I teach, in, when I've taught inmates how to listen to the emotions of another inmate and reflect back those emotions, that's step four and five in emotional intelligence. And I didn't expect this to happen. I didn't even think about it, really. Because I was just trying to teach them how to be peacemakers and mediators. Mm -hmm. But what, what I found was within two months, they were all of a sudden emotionally intelligent. They were recognizing their own emotional experience. They were modulating their own emotions. And they were making choices against what they would have otherwise been reactive to. And I've had hundreds of inmates come up and tell me stories about stuff like, I was in Medline yesterday and this asshole cut in front of me. And I really got pissed off. And then... I said, hey, I'm really angry. I'm really frustrated. I just feel disrespected. And then I said to myself, what are my choices here? Yeah, it's okay. It's not a big deal. He's a jerk. I know that. It's only going to cost me a couple of minutes. No big deal. And he immediately calmed himself down where he said, before before I had this training, I would have taken this guy and thrown him on the ground and kicked his, kick, kick the snot out of him. <laughs> and we both would have ended up in egg set in solitary confinement. So I don't do that anymore. I want to ask, hmm, you know, like I just, this just crossed my mind that this is not a, a big deal, but it just, you know, people who are angry, we, we don't like to be around people who are angry, right? It's negative, obviously. That's, well, right? yeah, it's, it's uncomfortable. Right. I, I had to pray my neighbor doesn't hear the show. But <laughs> anyway, but my neighbor, I mean, he's a nice enough guy, but he's just chronically angry. I walk mm -hmm. my dog in the morning and, oh, mm -hmm. you know. Yeah, hoping that he's not out of bed yet. He's sitting outside <laughs> in the street, you know, having a right. smoke, whatever. Afternoons, though, he, I, you know, late in the day, I'm walking my dog. I pretty much, you know, I see him. And he just complains. And this isn't, I don't know if I'd put it in the category of having to de-escalate someone. But, hey, you know, I mean, it's all kind of the same thing when you get right down to it, isn't it? I mean, yes, I know we're talking about, you know, people are really furious and quieting them down. But, this guy every day, eh, you know, it was just like the other day. It was a really nice warm day here in Boston. And he, I can't believe that I have to walk to the beach. It's across the street, by the way. Because I can't be in front of my house and my yard because they're doing construction across the street. Right. And I said yeah. to him, it's for crying out loud, stop whining. That's what I said to him. And of course, that's certainly not the right answer, right? But I mean... I guess I, you know, I know him well enough, but you know what? I, but, but I am curious now how that, how one would 
de-escalate this chronic complaining? You don't. You you. So that's another thing to really understand about these processes is that you have to be discerning. You have to use discernment. Once you start using these skills, people are going to really want to be listened to. Well, but listen, to I'm dis- planning on reading this book, and I'm planning on calling you back if they don't work. <laughs> because <laughs> I've been I've been telling we, my we'll listeners find out because they because they they really do work effectively. And if they don't work, there's usually a reason why that it's not working in that moment. But, for example, your neighbor who's across the street yelling at you because you're walking your dog and he's in front of the house or something. I mean, so you have to, the first choice you have to make is, do I want to mess with this guy or not? And if you decide not to, which is obviously an okay choice, you just keep walking and you blow him off. And you don't let him bother you. You say, well, he's yelling at me. I feel a little disrespected. I feel like he's invading my space. You, you de-escalate yourself and you walk oh, yeah. and you're fine. Oh, yeah. I mean, I don't, I don't, I don't, honestly, I don't care. But I'm just saying, I just want yeah, well, like it as like a practice run. because. <laughs> but, if, but, but if it is something that's important and you do have to confront somebody who's angry, who's important in your life, or, or is you can't not avoid this person, then having these skills is really useful because... The only reason, well, people can be chronically angry for a lot of reasons, but you don't know any of those reasons until you go in and start listening to them. And you might be surprised at how often, if you took the time to just de-escalate them and listen to their emotions rather than in the words and get them calmed down, that maybe what you thought was chronic anger isn't so chronic at all. It's just their cry of a very lonely person right who wants to be listened into existence. Well, and I, by I mean, taking I, the I ninety pers- seconds to yeah. do that, yeah. maybe you can give them a service. That gives them one of the most precious gifts in the world. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah. I mean, it's it's not, it truly it isn't a big deal. He's a nice enough guy, but I mean, I just I, right. I basically tell will you quiet yourself down. Here you go again. Will you stop your whining? You know, but <laughs> but so it, it really is just kind of almost comical to me. But but nonetheless, there is a certain um, you know there are certain s- skill sets, and so why not just use them with everybody for everything, whether they're complaining or whether they're screaming you and could. yelling or Right. I mean, you, you can do that, and in fact, the more you, the more mastery you get over this, the more it becomes just a part of your everyday way of dealing with people. And all of a sudden, well, that's what I'm talking about. Around you. Yeah. yeah. Once you master this, and it takes a couple of months to a, a lot of practice to for this to really become habitual. Once it becomes habitual, everything changes. My life completely changes. You, yeah, more, some of the things that I've noticed, for example, is that um, I don't have any talking in my head. People talk have a lot of self talk. I have no self talk. Oh, wow. I'm just sitting around, and I'm just in total silence and equanimity all the time. Somebody confronts me, I mean, I just reflect back what I'm hearing, and it never bothers me. The other thing that's really, and that's as a result, I believe, of really spending time and thinking about and working with and mastering these skills. The other thing that happens here that's really cool for a listener, another reason why you might think about trying this, is because when you are listening to an angry, upset, emotional person, and you're really focusing on their emotions, you lose your ego. You become egoless in that moment. And it's a transcendental experience. It's transcendent. It's like a spiritual practice. I mean, you teach yoga. You know what I'm talking about. I do. You, you, you reach this place of transcendence where you are one with this other person. How do you and know I teach yoga? It's a palpable, <laughs> physical experience. It's crazy. So let's... And I stump- it's it's nuts, but it's really powerful, and it lasts for about fifteen or twenty seconds. Let's uh, shift here for a second and, and talk about conversation. I know that's totally different than listening, mm-hmm. but now, um, and, and I, uh, I think that 
I'm going to share a personal experience. And I, I love this friend to death. We're very, very good friends. But I have to tell you, we have very different uh, beliefs in the way we uh, handle relationships. She's far more open than me. Uh, and that's just the way it goes. You know, I, I don't know if it's my Sicilian upbringing, you know. <laughs> Maybe it was when I was younger. My father said it's always better not to trust than to trust. Right? What great advice, right? But anyway, God bless his soul. But but anyway, um, but there are times when we will have like a little blowout. And I'll say, you know what? Stop telling me how to be. <laughs> You know, and, um, and, and a great person. And, I, and you know, we have, we've learned so much from each other. I mean, I think in some ways she really is too open. In some ways I can be too closed. And so it's just, it's been a great, long lasting friendship and journey. However, that being said, there are times when, um, both of us really just should listen to each other, you know? Right. And, um, so I'm curious. I was just thinking this the other day. I thought, you know, I feel like I want to say to her, you know, I, I wish sometimes you'd just listen to me rather than say, well, you know, have you thought about X, Y, and Z? I mean, she's actually a count, <laughs> she's actually a counselor too. So she's, you know, pretty smooth. But you know, something smooth is, is a one thing, but nonetheless, sometimes I just really want to be listened to as, and she'll say the same thing to me. It's like, you know, I know you really didn't think this relationship with her ex, you know, was a good one for me and it wasn't healthy, but you know what? And you know, I know it wasn't either, but you know what? You, you're still happy that it's over because you think he's a loser. <laughs> so, well, I wouldn't say he's a loser. I didn't. I never called him a loser. Right. I just thought that so you is, deserve something better. But anyway, this is this is really, really, really common. Yeah. So I'm curious what there's you would great, think about this. There's a this. great YouTube video that I that I teach. I use it in my teaching, and I just love it. And, I, and so for listeners, if you want to see a great example of listening and not listening, go YouTube out, Google out, and watch YouTube. It's not about the nail. It's not it's about, about what? a minute and a half video. It's not about the nail. The nail? It's not about the nail. I'm not going to say anything more, but just oh, understand. Oh, it's not about the mail. M A L E. It's not about the nail. N A I L. It's not about the nail. I'm not going to say anything else. But here's a perfect example, and I love this YouTube because it demonstrates. It's not a very good on listening, but it demonstrates what happens. Why people need to be listened to, and sometimes they know they've got a problem, and they know exactly what the problem is. They even know what the solution is. But all they want to do is be listened to. And you use and that. And giving them advice and telling them what to do and commiserating with them, that's not what they want. All they want is to be listened to. And validated. Do you ever see that? And validated. Oh, well, listen, and listen. So listen, there's a great, well, I'll just finish up with this. I could talk to you all day, every day. This is so fascinating. I'm so excited I had you on the show today. Um, and I appreciate your flexibility with the time as well. Of course. Because um, I know we had to change it at last minute, which was great. Um but there's a great YouTube video, and it's called Validation. It is funny, but boy, does it cut right through the chase. And you you gotta you gotta check I it out. I will check it out. It's, it's called really, Validation. It's called Validation. Yeah, right. yeah, it's I'll really funny. But anyway, all right, Doug Knoll, de-escalate how to calm an angry person in ninety seconds or less. Listeners, pick up this book. Please give the uh, our listeners again the the link because I don't have it right in front of me. I did, but I'm, yeah, so, I'm buried so under papers here. So as a, as a result of the of a, of a benefactor, I can we'll buy the book if you pay for shipping. Seven dollars for shipping. We'll buy the book. So you save a few bucks from buying it on Amazon. And to get that offer, go to dougnoll.com, D-O-U-G-N-O-L-L.com. There's a banner on the homepage. Click on the banner. It'll take you to the order page. And then you can go from there. Awesome. 
thanks so much for being with us today. It's been a pleasure. Had a great time. Okay, Francesca. Thank you. Okay, bye-bye. Bye. All right, time to wrap things up and say goodbye. I loved this guest. He was fabulous. I hope you did too. Pick up his free book and learn all about how to calm an angry person in 90 seconds or less. See you next week, same time, same place. Make it a great week.